0: This morning, I'm going to bring you the fourth and final message in this series, Deeper with God. And I've got to stop it sometime, you know, four messages, but the truth is, almost every message that we bring is about this topic. It is our great desire as pastoral leaders and preachers and musicians and worship leaders and stewards, every aspect of our ministry, the greatest desire that we have is that together we can go deeper with God. My theme this morning is life in the Spirit. As soon as we talk about going deeper with God, we've got to start talking about the Holy Spirit because He is the one who draws us closer to God. He is the one that gives us the gift of intimate relationship and access into the very presence of God. The Holy Spirit is Himself the one who carries the presence of Jesus to us. And as we live and move and walk in the Holy Spirit, we are being led by the Spirit deeper and deeper into our relationship with God. So I want to speak to you about how to go deeper with God today. Through the Holy Spirit. And um, I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. I'm going to read quite a few verses to you this morning. We're going to pick up on one character who features in this story. Let me set the scene and the context for you. The early church has just got going, the church in Jerusalem is exploding. They are nearly 100% Jewish believers. Many of them are Hebrew speaking. Jewish believers, Aramaic-speaking Jewish believers from Judea. But many others were Jews who were Greek-speaking, who were from the diaspora outside of Judea. And they're all together enjoying God, and a problem emerges. Let's see what they do about it. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, that's the Greek speakers, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we leave aside the Word of God, and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some of what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. I'm going to choose Stephen as my example today. He's one of my big heroes. He's one of the people that I'm going to earmark in heaven to have a good conversation with. Maybe it'll last about 5,000 years. I don't know. Because Stephen, to me, is one of the best and most glorious examples of a real disciple of Jesus, a man who made it his heart's passion to become like Jesus and who achieved it in a very, very real way. He also was the first martyr. He gave his life for Jesus, the first Christian martyr. And so there must be special honor reserved for Stephen in heaven. But as well as those things, I find in Stephen a great example of a man who is truly full of the Spirit. I don't just mean somebody who is filled with the Spirit. On an occasion, a man who knows what it is to be walking down the road, have a special anointing of God, come on in and say, Oh, I feel the power. Is there somebody to be healed? I feel it. You need to be healed. I'm here. No, he was a man who walked in the Spirit and who lived in the Spirit and who so surrendered his life to the moving of the Holy Spirit that he could be truly described as living in a state of being full of the Holy Spirit. And that description of any individual is very rare in the New Testament. So there, he is an exceptional man. But before we go on and think about him, I want to say, while I'm emphasizing how exceptional he is, remember, he's just an ordinary person. He's my hero, but he's just an ordinary person. Because the whole point about the Holy Spirit is that he comes into our weaknesses and makes us strong. He comes into our need and fills us with God's provision. He comes into the areas of life where we feel that we need help and that we are weak and and we are prone to failure because the Holy Spirit is our helper. And so Stephen's secret was not that he was more courageous, more brave, more intelligent, more committed than anybody else, but his secret was saying, God, I am nothing. If anything's going to happen in me, if I'm going to be useful to you, if I'm going to rise in any way in ministry, it has got to be the Holy Spirit. According to that scripture, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's why I like Stephen, because he just learned how to depend upon the Holy Spirit. He said, Holy Spirit, I'm available for you. If you can do anything with me, here am I fill me. He didn't say what most Christians say, here am I, Lord, send somebody else. He said, Lord, if you can find in me an empty vessel that you can fill, if you can find in me a blunt instrument that you can shape and sharpen for your purposes, if you can find in my stubborn resistant will something that you can mold to to your shape that I will be like putty and clay in your hands, then here am I, fill me. Here am I, touch me, here am I, God, use me. And that's why he's such a good example for all of us. Now, life in the Spirit begins by what we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to teach on that this this morning. I'd like to, but I want to get on to other stuff. But I want to let you know that I'm two-thirds of the way through writing a booklet about the baptism of the Spirit. I think the baptism of the Spirit, even amongst Pentecostals, And after all, this is our distinctive contribution to the church's understanding of life in the Spirit. Even Pentecostals are neglecting this doctrine. Uh, And this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been relegated to the sidelines. We've got to bring it back into mainline Christian life and living. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, what is it? Well, the key is in the word baptism. There are two main baptisms. One is water baptism, and where the person baptizing you takes you and plunges you, immerses you under the water. Now, we'll keep you under the water for a moment. Okay, so hold your breath. Why is that important? The mode of water baptism is important. Baptism isn't just a little bit of water. Baptism is a total immersion. That's what the word means. It means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. It can also mean to saturate. So the whole point is there's a lot of water. And the symbolism of this is that you are buried with Christ by baptism into death. Baptism is a burial service. Amen. And what that is symbolizing is that your old life is gone. Dead, buried, kweesha. Amen. I've thrown a few Swahili words for some of my Kenyan friends. I know there's some of you, Jambusana, gani? Buana Sefi Sana. That's a few of my Kenyan friends there watching this morning. Okay. So it's finished, over. The old life is gone. But hallelujah, we have not forgotten resurrection. Because as we plunge you under the water, saying, you are dead and gone, but you have been raised to newness of life. Now, I have a secret teaching which I'm going to reveal publicly here today. It's not a doctrine, but it's a very good technique in ministry. I tell the people who are water baptizing, take them and plunge them and make sure that they are under total immersion and just hold them there for a little bit. <laughs> hold them there until they begin to see their life flashing before their eyes. And only then, pull them out of the water, they'll be ever so grateful that that's the only way we know that they're going to really repent. (laughs) I'm joking. This is not a Kensington Temple doctrine. I'm joking. But the point is, is that in water baptism, we take you and we plunge you under the water to symbolize your burial with Christ and pick you up again to symbolize the new life that you have in Christ, resurrection life. Now, there are a number of differences and similarities when we talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Number one, the big difference is is there is only one person who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit, and that's Jesus himself. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, that was fulfilled. The Bible says that Jesus, being exalted to the right hand of the Father, received the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and poured out the gift of the Spirit upon the church. And many years ago, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I had a clear experience of Jesus wasn't so much the Holy Spirit I was conscious of. It was Jesus. And I knew that Jesus himself had done this. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Now another difference is, is that the baptistry contains no water. But we are immersed into the medium, the baptistry of the Holy Spirit. So, the element is different. Of course, the Holy Spirit's not an element, is He? He is Spirit. But Jesus takes us and plunges us into Holy Spirit. But with this baptism, He doesn't pull you out again. He baptizes you and He keeps you immersed. And you are introduced into the life of the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is initiation into the life of the church of Jesus Christ, and spirit baptism is initiation into the life of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't end there. It's not like a once-for-all experience. Okay, been through that, what's next? No, it is meant to be an ongoing, continual experience. One baptism, but continual experience in fillings of the Holy Spirit. If we switch back to water for a moment and think about a sponge. Imagine a big, dry sponge. You take that sponge and you plunge it into a bucket of water. Two things happen. Number one, the sponge is in the water. But number two, the sponge begins to draw in the water so that the water also enters the sponge. And this is the ongoing experience of being filled and continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen was so saturated in the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit soaked into every part of his life and affected him. In Ephesians chapter 5, you can maybe look at this later, the Apostle Paul says, "'Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit.'" And he says that as an ongoing experience. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Then he describes some of the long-term effects of a life being filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins with praise and worship and adoration, and that's very clear. But he moves very quickly on to seeing what spirit-filled living is like. What does it mean to have a spirit-filled marriage? What does it mean to have a spirit-filled family? What does it mean to be spirit-filled at work? And so, when you are full of the Holy Spirit, then it affects every part of your life, your thinking, your choosing, your choices, your likes, your dislikes how you behave at work, how you behave at home. And this is the life of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, it's very clear that we need to go deeper and deeper into the things of the Spirit, not just in the charismatic sense of signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and prophecies, as wonderful as these things are, but to allow the Holy Spirit access into every part of our being so that we become truly full of the Holy Spirit, and it affects us. And they can say, that person is truly full of the Holy Spirit. So let's see how this worked out in the life of Stephen. Now, I've already told you what the situation was. We have, in this Christian community, two major groups of people the Jews from Judea who spoke Aramaic, the the Hebrew-speaking Jews, and other Jews that had been born or grew up in the diaspora where Greek was their language. So we have the Hebrew-speaking Jews and the uh, Greek-speaking Jews. And there was a little bit of friction, to put it mildly. There was a sharp contention. There was a complaint. Now, you know, I... I don't know if you imagine it to be so. the early church, you think it's absolutely amazing. Peter's shadow could heal the sick, and everything was wonderful. There were no disagreements. People in those days were nice people. And today, well, it's a different story. No, people are people. All over the world, every generation, every culture. And sometimes when you put people together, problems arise. Have you ever noticed that? A group of people, sometimes a problem happens. Even in church life, there may be somebody here today, this may be a word of knowledge, I don't know, maybe just take it as a sermon illustration. There may be somebody sitting way on this side, wants nothing to do with somebody sitting on that side, and the people in the middle are trying to keep the distance. I don't know. I'm not saying it ought to be that way, but things like that happen. So the apostles got together and said, what's the problem? And and so the the, uh, uh, Hebrew-speaking widows said, uh, the Greek-speaking widows said, we're being neglected. There's favoritism here. You are giving more to them than to us. And the apostles said, is this what God gave us the gift of apostleship for? Listen. We're not going to get embroiled in this, and certainly we're not going to come and serve tables ourselves, not because we're too high and mighty, but we don't want to be distracted from our primary calling, which is to serve God, seek God, pray, and minister the Word. And incidentally, church history looks back to this point in Acts chapter 6 for the origin of what we call the diaconate, the deacon ministry in the church. And we have them all over this church. The stewards are deaconing this morning. The lady who's interpreting for you, talking hands, is deaconing this morning. I guess in a kind of way even the musicians are serving God in a kind of deaconing kind of role. I guess so. But this shows us that the work of the church must be shared out so that the, those who are called to be deacons of the Word are not distracted. And they can give themselves in the secret place to the things of God, that they may be true to their ministry. But it's also dignifying every single act of service. And I want to say to you, if you want to be full of the Holy Spirit, find a low place. Don't try and find a high place. Because the Holy Spirit is like water. He always finds the lowest place. Humble yourself. Empty yourself of pride. Empty yourself of selfishness. Empty yourself of self. (laughs) Take the me out of me. You've got nothing left. Jesus will come in. And so all of this is the background. I think it's amazing to see the characteristics and qualities that they looked for in men who were to serve as waiters of tables. Amazing. What were those characteristics? Verse 3 says, find seven men. (laughs) I don't know. Could we find seven men today like this? Anyway, let's let's not go there. Find seven men of good reputation. And somebody has a good reputation. It's not a reputation that comes through self-promotion. Not find seven men who've got good publicity. Seven men who look good on the front of Charisma magazine. Seven men who know how to smile at the cameras. No, find seven men whose lives are consistent so they have good reputation, because they have proved themselves to be men of integrity, willing to serve God, willing to serve other people. Find seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, not seven men who are filled at at a moment. Now, do you understand the difference between filled and being full? Okay. When you are filled, it's like a charismatic anointing, And it comes on you, like this, and you feel something. I feel the power. What are you doing, Lord? And there's a manifestation. And being filled with the Spirit and a manifestation of the Spirit has nothing whatsoever to do with your spirituality. Sometimes the most fleshliest, ugliest Christians manifest the gifts of the Spirit. And you have a problem. You say, God, what a wonderful word, but what an ugly person that is bringing it to me. I'm talking about their physical appearance. I'm talking about their character. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are charismatic endowments. In other words, they are gifts. They're not trophies or badges of merit. So if you speak with tongues, you can still be an ugly believer. How many people know fleshly believers that manifest the gifts of the Spirit? It's not a test of spirituality. It's God's gift. So somebody who is spontaneously filled with the Spirit, may manifest a very powerful spiritual gift, but they may turn around and say a hurtful word. They may actually be quite a fleshly Christian because God uses us all in spite of ourselves. But somebody who is full of the Spirit is not somebody who's just spontaneously anointed and can speak a prophecy or bring a word of knowledge, but whose life has been saturated and shaped by the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. That's the deep life that I'm talking about. I thank God when we see manifestations of signs and wonders and healings and miracles. That's a wonderful hallmark of the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit. But I also love it, perhaps even more, when I see people's lives start to be shaped around who the Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit. And that's the deeper life. And the truth is, it shouldn't be a choice between one or the other. We shouldn't be some people who, well, I excel in the gifts. And somebody says, well, you can keep your gifts. I'm a fruity person. I'm full of love. I'm full of joy. I'm full of peace. God wants us to excel both in the gifts and the fruit coming together in a fully rounded character, shaped by the Holy Spirit, because after all, the effectiveness of your spiritual gift surely will be enhanced by the character in which it is manifested. Amen? So we want, we want both, and, and, and they were looking for people, not just those who could be anointed. That's powerful. They've given six prophecies before breakfast, and five out of the six have been true. We'll forget the sixth one. We'll use them. They're the most charismatically gifted people. No, we want people not just of charisma, but character. By the same Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. I would like you to make sure you got Bruce's book on Galatians because he does a powerful exposition of the fruit of the Spirit in, that, in his book on Galatians. And he shows how every manifestation of fruit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, and so on, self-control. These aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is the effects of the working of the Holy Spirit, reproducing the character of Christ in you. And I know, I'm sure you are too. I would rather hear an anointed sermon from somebody whose heart is full of love, not just somebody who is a clever preacher. I'd rather receive a word of knowledge that is bathed in the spirit of love and carries the anointing of Christ's character as well as just an accurate word. This is what you had for breakfast two weeks ago on Thursday. I don't care what I had for breakfast. What does Jesus say? Amen? So this is what the life in the spirit is all about. And I'm speaking preaching and teaching this series in the context of announcing and introducing and inviting you to join the new move of God's Spirit. And this is one of the characteristics of the move of God's Spirit. It won't any longer be, look, that person has the gifts, and what a nice character that person is. God wants the two together, the marriage between the character and the gifts, charisma and gifting and character all in one. God wants to shape your life not just teach you how to prophesy. Amen, amen and amen. amen. And that's what they looked for. Seven men full of f- uh, faith and full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Now, some of these, this terminology we shouldn't really skip over. They wanted wisdom. Now, I'll tell you something. When you've got a bunch of women here fighting a bunch of women there and you're going to stand in the middle, you are going to need the wisdom of Solomon. All right, don't look at me like you. Some of you, look, it could be men as well. Men have been known to argue. It has happened in the history on the planet that some men have been at each other's throats. It has happened. I mean, if I mention one word here today, there'll be a lot of dissent. If I said Manchester United and somebody else said Arsenal, there will be a lot of inner healing needed. <laughs> so, okay, so it's not a gender issue, all right? It's a per- human personality issue. That's why Solomon was so, so on the button when he asked God for wisdom. God said, you can have anything that you want, wealth and riches and power and influence, all the glory of the kingdom, what do you want? And he said, I want a wise and understanding heart to govern your people. And God said, you've chosen well, and because you've not asked for wisdom and wealth and for riches and all that, you're going to get that as well. But wisdom is the key thing. I have a group of leaders, we pray together, and this, this prayer, I ask them to pray for me every day. They say, what do you want? I say, I want wisdom. R.T. Kendall has prayed that prayer for more than 25 years for me. R.T., if you're listening, I hope some of the prayer has been answered. Wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is the presence of the mind of the Spirit in any given situation. We need men and women who are so full of the Spirit that they have wisdom. Wisdom. They needed wisdom. Sometimes, uh, remember that what happened when Solomon demonstrated the wisdom? There, were, there was a woman, two women fighting again. Sorry, women, is just, just a story. Two women fighting again over a baby. One baby died, so the woman stole the other woman's baby and said, this is mine. And they came to Solomon. And he had to find out which baby, you know, which woman belonged to to the baby. So he said, bring me a sword. He never meant to go through with it, so it's okay. And he said, I'm going to cut the baby in two. Give half to this woman, half to that woman. And the woman whose baby it was not said, okay, do it. The baby whose woman it was said, no, don't do it. Give her to the other woman, but don't kill the baby. And he said, that, that baby's yours. And the wisdom of Solomon was spoken around. that. And you know what? I, I would have done something differently with the sword. <laughs> I would have said, bring me a sword. Lady, if you want to keep your head on your shoulders, don't bother me with your petty arguments. And the other lady, you're just as bad. But that's not wisdom. That's not the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And you know, this wisdom is not... It was to do with an earthly business. Who's getting what food and who should stand in line where? It was ag administration, wasn't it? So this is for those of you who are working not just in church life, but wherever you go. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could go tomorrow into your place of work, into your college... ...with the spirit of wisdom on you, so full of the Holy Spirit... And you sit down, and people start quarreling here, or their problems arise there, and panic buttons are being pressed all over the place, and you just stand up, and you speak, not pretentiously, yeah, hey, oh yeah, thou, hast, uh, I am thus the servant of the Lord, full of, of the Holy Spirit, I say unto thee, wisdom, no. some people interpret, you know, you've got to behave, like you're in this platform when you go into your office. You don't do that. This is my bit. This, I get to do this. You don't get to do this. You get to be normal, okay? All right. So when you go into the office and you're full of the Holy Spirit, bring a word. There is no telling what can happen. Let me make a kind of Colin logical prediction, okay? Don't put too much store by it. See if you think it's right. I reckon... People moving in the wisdom of the Lord are going to get promoted quicker than anybody else. Would you agree with me? People who are full of the character of Christ, not only will they be persecuted and hated, but they will also be promoted because the boss will say, I can't stand you. You're so sanctimonious, so holy, you're embarrassing, but you're good at your job, so you got it. You got the promotion. So this is practical people. Spirit-filled living is not just about speaking tongues and looking holy in church. You need a big anointing to look holy, some of us. You do it very well most Sundays, (laughs) and we do it even better most Sundays. But our Sunday look, our holy look, our holy suit, and all of this is fun for church services. But out there, it's real life, and you can't fake it. Not that we fake it here, but it's got to be real. It's got to be real. You've got to touch people's lives. You've got to have the wisdom That speaks into a situation, and for that you need the Holy Spirit. So I've given you 10 good reasons to say, God, fill me today. I don't just want to be filled on Sunday morning. I want to walk into a Spirit-filled week because the Holy Spirit is still being poured out in my life. I'm so grateful for this moving image behind me. It's a picture of a waterfall, as you can see. I'm going to try and attempt to stand under it from where you're sitting. You know, as well as the analogy of being immersed into the Holy Spirit, the Bible uses another one, the Spirit being poured out on us. On the day of Pentecost, that's what happened. The Bible says, Jesus, being exalted to the Father's right hand, has received the promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you both see and hear. And therefore, it was a definitive experience. It was a day of Pentecost experience. But when the sun set on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit did not stop being outpoured. Because there's no limit to Him. So the day of Pentecost is happening today. This moving image behind me is a picture of what's happening in the spiritual realm. Right now in this place, God is still pouring out His Holy Spirit. And He is available. And all we have to do is step under the flow and get saturated afresh with the Holy Spirit. And it's not just something for church buildings, you understand. This is happening everywhere you go. In the dirtiest, boring, most difficult sedious situations that your job exposes you to and life in London is living on the underground, traveling on the underground. You should travel in the underground with your eyes, you know, blindfolded because of all the images that have come your way and the things you hear corks in your ears and all the rest of it because we live in a one of the most sensually seductive cities in the world. And the devil is spewing out, forgive the imagery, but spewing out More and more stuff which ain't glorifying to God. But in the midst of this, the Holy Spirit is coming with His power, with His presence, and with His purity. And when you are orientating your life to the Holy Spirit, you can be in the world and stay clean. Because while you're in the world, you're not of the world. So let's have a look at some of these characteristics as they play it out in the life of Stephen. Verse 5, what do we discover? They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. You know, I thank God for the decades uh, in which we've been exposed to the faith teaching. Kenneth Hagan, Kenneth Copeland, any other person by the name of Kenneth, it sounds. And it's fantastic. I believe in some instances, the teaching can be pushed to extremes, okay? I'm not here to correct and balance that. I'm just saying that we need to walk in faith. And I'm so grateful that the faith teaching, it's called the word of faith movement, isn't it? Are showing us how that faith comes by God's word, Amen? And we live in the Word of God. And that's important. But I want you to know also that faith comes by the Holy Spirit. It's not just a rational cognitive process of the mind. It's not just logic. It's anointing. And if you're saying, God, I need more faith, what you really need to say is, God, I need to surrender to your Spirit. Because when the Spirit is moving in your life, you can believe For the impossible. And this man had faith. These were the qualities, these were the characteristics that the Holy Spirit brought to him. And so when you are moving in the Spirit, surrendering to the Spirit, the Spirit will always speak to you a word of faith. The Spirit will always lead you in the scriptures to a word of faith, a rhema word, a word that speaks into your exact situation. And you will be able to move from faith to faith. And you will grow in your faith. And we need people who are strong in faith. And it's not just about being intellectually convinced. Thank God you don't have to kiss your brains goodbye to be a charismatic believer. Oh, the half of charismatic brains have never been used at all. We've got to extend our love of God to the area of our intellect and begin to love God with our minds. Amen. Thinking, spirit-filled believers. An intelligent fire. That's what we need. Amen. But it is not just the rational processes. It is as we surrender our thinking to the Holy Spirit because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And if we just think according to the rational reasoning of the human brain, we will miss out on the faith anointing of God. But God can lift us into a level of faith logic that takes us out of the the area of what is possible to man and introduce us into the area of what is possible to God. Amen. All things are possible to him who believes. So, you want to live a life of faith? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. There are times, you know, when under the anointing of God, I can believe God for anything. And it's like nothing's impossible. But then move away from that, and everything becomes like it was before. That's not being full of the Spirit. That is being anointed at a certain point in time to manifest a spiritual gift. I don't just want that. I do want that. But I just don't want that. I want to be able to leave the meeting and be just as much full of faith out there as when I was in here. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. Let's go on. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power. Now, the word faith here uh, has an alternative reading. And I kind of favor the alternative reading. One of the manuscripts says grace and power. You can probably see it in the margin of your Bible. A good Bible will show you that alternative reading. My spirit-filled Bible has that marking there. Grace. Now, it's a good possibly this was what the original was because um, uh, Luke isn't going to repeat himself. It's full of faith and the spirit, full of faith and power. He, he's going to understand by power, he also is emphasizing Grace, and let's take that reading for today. It's a truth, anyway. Let's take it because I believe that one of the hallmarks of the Holy Spirit being filling somebody and taking somebody's life uh, uh, under control is this key word grace. Spirit filled believers, people full of the Spirit, should be the most gracious, the most gracious believers. And you know, the word charisma and charismatic, which speaks about the gifts of the Spirit, means exactly that, a grace gift. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. He himself is a gift of God's grace, and he brings God's grace gifts with him, and therefore, surely, he is the one who shapes a character of grace. Grace doesn't always mean nice. We, we, we can have too much Nice. God doesn't want us to be nice Christians. God wants us to be spirit-filled, truthful Christians. And sometimes what the world will say is not nice, is truth nevertheless. To say that people are dying and going to hell without Christ isn't nice, but it's true. To say that God has given us a sexuality that should only be expressed within monogamous relationships and heterosexual marriage, that is not nice out there anymore, but it's true. Amen? Amen? So we've got to know the difference between grace and nice. Remember, grace and truth came by Jesus. So a word spoken, anointed by the Spirit of truth, will also be a grace word. And so we need to understand how important it is to really get to grips with what grace really is. Of course it means God's unmerited favor. Of course it means that we don't judge and devalue others. Of course it means that we point people to the mercy of God that's available through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, and yes. But we must never, ever compromise truth in the name of grace. Because to call somebody a sinner today is a big insult. You know, I'm a sinner. You say, "Man, sinner." I'm not. I'm okay. I pay my taxes. Well, most of them, anyway. I'm kind to animals. Well, some of them. Amen. I'm, 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 I'm nice. They're, you know. Listen. Have you ever met a nice non-believer, a really nice non-believer? Yes. Are they going to heaven because they're nice? No. Have you met a nasty Christian? Are they going to hell because they're nasty? No. That's grace. <laughs> I think one of the most damaging things we've done to drive men out of the church so that for every one man there are three women. <laughs> Tragedy. That's because we want men to be nice Christian men. God doesn't want you men to be nice Christian men. He wants you to be armed and dangerous for the devil. Amen. Yesu. <clears throat> <clears throat> Amen. Are you getting me today? The devil's a liar. The clock is running too fast. (laughs) Grace and power. Verse 8, he did great signs and wonders among the people. I want to finish with verse 10. What was happening was that the witness of the church... Yeah, keep the scripture up for me for a bit. What was happening was the witness of the church was expanding so much... And there was a certain sect, belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, which probably was to do with a, uh, a Jewish Orthodox Jewish sect that was very, very um, passionate about preserving the purity of Judaism. And they said, "This is terrible. What's happening? These Christians, these Christians are going to mess everything up for us." And they noticed Stephen, not just because he was a nice waiter at tables. Deserving a good tip, but because he was full of faith, full of wisdom, full of power, and he was performing signs and wonders, miracles. And they began to dispute with him. That's a very polite word in our English language, but it's very strong. They began to confront him, debate with him, negate what he was saying, and he had an answer. And this is going to happen to us more and more, more and more. Because the more our society moves away from Christian values and Christian foundations, the more that society will oppose itself to what we, as Bible Christian believers, represent. And we've got to be ready for this. And Stephen, being full of the Spirit, didn't just sit around all day and soak in the Holy Spirit and sing praise songs. The level of spiritfulness in him drove him to the Word. And we know, I haven't time to teach on it today. You read chapter 7 when he makes his defense before the Sanhedrin. He is so full of the Word and not just chapter and verse. He understood the heart of God behind the, the verses. And so Stephen saw something that not even the apostles saw. Stephen saw that God's heart was to reach beyond Jerusalem, Judea, and to reach out to the Gentile nations. And it seems that the apostles were a bit addicted to Jerusalem. Maybe they thought that the kingdom is coming and they're going to get their 12 thrones quickly. But they made Jerusalem their base. And anybody wanted a touch or a word from the apostle had to come to Jerusalem. And Stephen, not being rebellious, but just being ahead of the game, ahead of the curve, said, the time is coming when the word of Jesus, which says this temple is going to be destroyed and the gospel is going to go out to the nations. He began to preach about that. And so they got, not the apostles, but the synagogue of the freedmen began to say, you are speaking blasphemies against the temple and Moses. And so he was arrested. But before they arrested him, as so I'm going to finish today, verse 10 it says, They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. I want that. Who knows but that a microphone may be put in front of your face with a camera there and ask you some questions about your faith, or a public issue, or something that the world is angry about that we do or don't believe. What are you going to say? Are you going to say, I'm filled with the spirit and I speak with my tongue? (laughs) Or are you going to say, get behind me, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus? Are you going to say something that actually communicates? So you've done your work, you've done your homework, you've done your study, you've been to every available course on IBIOL. Plug, plug, did you get that? But more than that, you are saturated with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the words that you speak, but the Spirit that backs those words up. Watch this space, people of God. We're going to need to be that full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you all stand to your feet? Can I have that other microphone, please? We've got a, just a couple of minutes. And I, I don't want to dismiss you or invite Gabriel to finish the service. Without giving you an opportunity. Would you be kind enough to move the podium a little bit further away from me? Thank you. Even if it's just for a, for a few moments. Finish the service by once again recognizing His presence, taking this waterfall image as a as a cue, and say, "God, Your Spirit is available today. I don't just want to be initiated into the life of the Spirit. I want to go deeper into the life of the Spirit. I want to begin to to touch." those unfathomable depths of all that the richness and effectiveness of a truly Spirit-filled life, a life truly filled with the Holy Spirit. And the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is that He comes and touches us and takes us right where we are. Every one of us, even in these moments by faith, we can go deeper into the things of God. If you're paddling in the shallows, you've barely got your toes wet, you can go deeper. If you are diving to 10 meters, thinking you've arrived, you can go deeper. Wherever we are, whatever level of stage, of maturity we are at, the Holy Spirit is here to draw us deeper into Him. Lift your hands in His presence. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray, and the musicians and singers are just going to lead us in one song, taking us into his presence. And the very least before we go today, we can have said, God, saturate me afresh. Fill me afresh. Do in my life what only you could do. Lift your hands high all over the place, over there in the coronet, downstairs, behind me, even on the Internet. Just lift your hands in his presence. There is no barrier of distance or time. With the Holy Spirit. He can begin to fill your life even more than before, even more than a moment before. Just say to him in your heart, Father, I empty myself of me, so there's more room for you. Say to the Lord Jesus, you are the baptizer and the Holy Spirit. I want to soak in that blessing you've given to me. I want to go deeper in your presence, I want to go deeper in your power, I want to go deeper in your purity. Help me now and fill me afresh. Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that in these moments heaven will open to us in a new and fresh way and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who is continually being given as your gift of life. Will fill us afresh. We don't just want to be filled, but we want to come to being full. Take us deeper. We pray, in Jesus' name.
1: Rain, rain on.
0: Let's let's not clap. Let's not clap just for the moment. I know we're excited. Let's not clap. Let us just preserve just a few moments of silence, as it were, you know, like no music or singing, but just to be in His presence and welcome Him so that anointing can settle, just settle in our hearts and lives. And it's at times like this that the Holy Spirit can find a way in to the deep things that are going on in your life. This isn't about your circumstances. This is about what's happening inside you. And the stuff that is causing anxiety, the stuff that's causing frustration, the stuff that's making you feel powerless, useless, or worthless. He's saying, I'm going to go here now. I'm going to just filter down into those deep areas, and you're going to find a difference because you've just opened the door to me. You've just said, come, and I'm coming. I'm not going to let you down. I'm your helper. I'm going to fill you so that you can learn to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. amen. People of God, we've got to go. There's another meeting coming. Amen. Never mind. Give Jesus a big praise, but take this home with you.